1: Garage Logic Segment Number One. Good Friday afternoon to you, those of you in Garage Logic. It is the rookie here, Joe Souchey, is taking a uh, a Friday off for some uh, family obligations, and uh, he's enjoying the nice weather. We'll have Jay Cole's here in at two o'clock. Uh, a couple of guests will join us in the two o'clock hour. Prior to that, though, many requests. Unfortunately, we've lost Anthony Bourdain, as many of you well know. He was only sixty-one years of age, and in two thousand seven, uh, November of two thousand seven, he was coming through with his uh, promoting uh, his uh, No Reservations, a book, and uh, he stopped in at Garage Logic, and he was an unbelievably uh, of course, he's going to be well mannered. He was just very casual and cool, and it was a great interview. And I haven't had have any requests for that today. Uh, even Joe said we should probably replay that today, so uh, we will uh, give you an, uh, the full hour that we uh, interviewed Anthony Bourdain on Garage Logic in 2007. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another version of Author's Corner. This author's corner features stereotypical violin music, which is not very creative and has been done many times. Yet the mayor of Garage Logic probably wanted something like this so he could proceed with author's corner.
2: All right, is it almost done? Well about, me, oh, about twenty more
1: seconds. We now turn to author's corner we have a with the stereotypical guest. classical okay. music with violins in the background, so Joe can do author's corner bit. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Yo. Good night, Mike.
2: Anthony Bourdain, and you've allowed me to call you Tony. By all means. Very nice to meet you. Good to meet you. And the uh, book is No Reservations. <laughs> Do you like being known as an author more than a chef? Uh, yeah. You know,
0: being an author is easier. Uh, really, that's the only really? distinction I make. Uh, you know, it's a lot more. You mean physically
2: easier? Yeah,
0: work for me. I mean, uh, you know, working a lunch counter is a a recent uh, memory, or not that not not that far away a memory right. for me. So, you know, author, I you know, I have comfortable associations with that word.
2: What's the correct pronunciation of the restaurant where you were the head chef in New York? Uh, it's Leal. Leal. Yeah. Well, I have read descriptions of your descriptions of it, and I'm paraphrasing, but you. Tend to give the impression that's like working in a submarine that's under attack.
0: Yeah, it's a tiny kitchen, a uh, pretty big dining room. You know, a turn and burn operation where people want, you know, they they, they want their meat and their their potatoes, and yeah. uh, you know, maybe a French meat and potatoes, but they they still want it quick and they want it right.
2: Are you there when you are not on the road? Is that where you are? No, no, it's been a long time since oh, okay. so I served any useful function to the okay. restaurant. They, they Do you keep own it? No, I oh. don't.
0: No, no, no. They, they, they. Keep me around in a spiritual advisor sort of a position.
2: Now, Anthony Bourdain, uh, I only know you uh, through your show, No Reservations, on the Travel Channel, which I really, really like. And I know you would have no reason to know this, but that might sound a bit odd given the nature of this particular radio show. But judging by the emails we've been getting over the last 24 hours since we announced you were coming on, there are lots of people who listen to this show who watch your travel show. And it's you're the you're the guy who would make me, you're the only person who has made me pay attention to food, about which I know nothing, but I find I'm not watching the show uh, for food. Mm-hmm. I'm not watching the show about food. Have you turned food into rock and roll? Are you the guy who's taken food and turned it into something else? Um...
0: I think that process was was well underway already. I mean there were people who came before me. Marco Pierre White comes to mind as somebody who really kind of transformed the business and 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 the the image we all had as as chefs and as cooks of ourselves and the image in the public mind of what what the chef should look like and be like, you know, before Marco Pierre White's book, uh, White Heat, and he didn't even really write anything. He published. Who's a he? Is he a French okay. guy? Uh, no, a, a British, oh, British, British guy. And they uh, don't have food, do they? They, they not before Marco. <laughs> uh, you know, he was this British guy who never left England, who who uh, had a three star Michelin restaurant mm-hmm. in London, of all places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we all got that book with these gorgeous pictures of beautiful, classically very French food. And then we saw a picture of the man himself, like us, you know, haunted looking, mm-hmm. uh, burned out, big circles under his eyes, long scraggly hair, smoking a cigarette in his kitchen. That was a really kind of a revolutionary moment for a lot of uh, a lot of working cooks up until that time. The the identity of the cook, the, the the people we were supposed to resemble, they were fat French guys, mm-hmm, you know, and mm-hmm. so that that allowed us to kind of start thinking about, you know, uh, being who we were.
2: You're fashionably skinny.
0: Well, uh, is that you know, three packs of
2: cigarettes a it, day?
0: It, uh, yeah, I just I just quit recently. Really? Yeah. yeah How yeah, long yeah. has it been? Been uh, four months. You're over the hump. I let us hope. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, you want one. 40 years from now but <laughs> yeah but you're over the hump
0: well there's no place left for me to smoke and you know? right. i just pretty much understand that my you know they've, they've hunted me down my last redoubt was my apartment and uh you know i have little you know baby lungs in there now i can't smoke there
2: is there a mrs bourdain yes and her name is otavia otavia and is there a new little bourdain a little, a little baby Bourdain, Is a that, little girl, and that's your first child. Yes, that's yeah. fantastic. Congratulations. I'm, I'm, I'm liking it. I'm liking this whole dad thing. Yeah, and you live in Manhattan. Yeah, and. No longer at the restaurant so much, so this, this show is continuing to take off.
0: We're not, uh, we're not uh, you know, diapering the baby in New mm-hmm. York. I'm, I'm spending about uh, the better part of 10 months out of the year traveling around the world anywhere I want to When does go. the
2: new season start, by the way? Because I've seen everything mm-hmm. in here, and uh, it keeps getting replayed. January. Oh, okay. Uh, why did you want to become a chef?
0: You know, I fell into it. Uh, I fell in love with the lifestyle. I took a dishwashing job, uh, you know, just because my, my roommates were tired of me sponging off them one summer. And uh, and a dishwashing job was available at one of the one of the restaurants that one of my roommates was, was waiting tables at. And uh, I went in. I started washing dishes. And I looked around and saw the cooks and how they, they lived. And they had a certain kind of swagger and style that I found really appealing. And uh, though none of us had any money, you know, they got you know, girls, they, mm-hmm. they had, you know, there was a lot of free liquor, there was free food, you you could live a very good lifestyle. It looked very attractive to me. And I think as importantly, it was the first time in my life, you know, I was an angry, alienated kid who hated myself, hated everybody else. Why? Um, the Life, uh, the world was a disappointment to me. I, I, I'd grown up, uh, you know, in, in sort of the Kennedy New Frontier years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, at a, at a at a weird point in American history, you know the, the notion of by the time I was old enough to enjoy free love, uh, it was over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, the idea of being a hippie was mm-hmm. no longer attractive. You know, even at age twelve, thirteen.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, what and, are you fifty one now? Yeah, yeah,
0: and you know, so there was. I just didn't believe in anything. I I, I was one of those at that age where I saw the faults in everything and, and and could forgive nothing. And uh, washing dishes in a in a kitchen with people who got paid to do things with their hands. Uh, I went home proud of myself at the end you, of that.
2: But you grew up comfortably.
0: I grew up in a you know comfortable middle class home in New Jersey.
2: Yeah. Your dad was a recording company executive.
0: Well, you know, when I was a little kid, yeah. uh, he you know worked a uh, worked as a floor manager at Sam Goody and at a camera store. But for much of my uh, much of my childhood you know he was a record company executive and so your
2: mom was with the new york times
0: uh housewife until much later oh. uh when she she went back to to work as a as a newspaper editor but i mean i went to uh, you know starting in fifth grade i went to uh to private school mm-hmm. uh, you know i there's no question about it. i was a privileged kid with a good education mm-hmm. and a lot of advantages you have brothers and sisters young one younger brother what's he do he was the, the good one who stayed in college and uh, became an investment banker, you know, a, a currency specialist. Yeah, well, you'll need
2: somebody now to handle your money anyway. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: It's too late. <laughs> were your parents appalled that you had decided to go this route?
0: I think by the time uh, it, it became clear that I was actually going to stick with cooking, that I, that I after a few years I said I was going to go to a culinary institute. I think they were relieved at this point that oh. I was going to stick to anything. Oh. I'm sure they—, they Clearly, had had higher hopes for me. Uh, you know, all uh, well, that good education was not intended for me to to hang out with with a you know a pe- bunch of people in a kitchen. Uh, very low prestige business at that time. There was no such thing as a celebrity chef, and mm-hmm. the idea of it being a glamorous business at all was unthinkable. Uh, but you, but, but you, but you saw alternative- glamour. I did, but but I saw it in the same way that that uh, you know, like joining the circus or a rock, or a rock and, roll, and band. roll
2: band without having to play the guitar. Yeah,
0: but from the point of view of of my parents, it was well, you know, hopefully this will keep them out of jail or you know right. off heroin.
2: Right, and and you which you were on for a
0: while. Uh, that still lay ahead. Yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that hadn't Once again, that hadn't been accomplished yet. <laughs>
0: yes, and now that's that done. Was still on my to do
2: list. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the uh uh. You haven't given up the beer drinking, I
0: hope. No, it's no. really the last vice left to yeah, me. You know, yeah. I don't know what, uh, I don't know what's after this. You know,
2: I guess that's just basically what I thought distinguished your show the first time I saw it. I don't even know who recommended it to me. It might have been one of the kids I used to have uh, said, "You got to check this dude out. You got to watch this guy." It's not a food show, and I was struck by just. Uh, how you intended to just be yourself on this show. You weren't interested in the camera not seeing the cigarette. You weren't interested in the camera not seeing the the glass of beer. I think the first – was it your first episode ever where you drank the absinthe?
0: Yeah, yeah. What
2: that was, was – t- tell me what absinthe is.
0: Well, absinthe is a drink – the the original uh, version of absinthe was a drink which in France where it became popularized, a drink with a very bad reputation mm-hmm. – um, it was said to drive people crazy and make them, you know, uh, uh, kill crazy uh, addicts. And and I think a lot of that was propaganda spread by the wine companies because it was really the first hard liquor drink that was widely enjoyed Hmm. and cheap and available. And so uh, you know my theory is that it it really wasn't a hallucinatory uh uh you know out of body experience mm-hmm. and, I mean I was kind of looking forward to that right you know the, uh, <laughs> where where's the where's the high leave as the advertised yeah, leave the bottle but <laughs> but um I think it was just that everybody in Paris was suddenly you know much drunker than they'd been before mm-hmm. and, and that that led to its its bad reputation um i didn't experience you know the what was it called the green fairy you right. know, the the, the, the the sort of trippy uh, mm-hmm. uh, experience that that had been but but promised. going
2: but going in, did you know that was what was going to distinguish this show? We were going to see a guy who uh, uh, knows how to swear, uh, knows how to drink, knows how to smoke, and yet has this side of him that's uh, impossibly creative with food there was there was no effort I take it made to to tame you in any way.
0: no, no, it's a take it or leave it situation yeah. i mean i, I People know my name not because of my food, but, you know, I got TV deals because I wrote a really obnoxious over-testosterone memoir filled with bad language where I made, you know, all of my bad habits pretty clear. You know, it's important to know, I mean, if I'm speaking in very hyperbolic terms about good and evil in the world, Mm -hmm. uh, the world of food, I think it's important to remind people, uh, you know, who's talking here, that I'm not, uh, you know, Alain Ducasse or, you know, I'm I'm not the great chef or authority. So I kind of made my bones early on by just being myself and uh nobody expected me ever to to kind of, you know, become Rachel Ray overnight, you mm-hmm. know, or 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 even particularly polite or diplomatic. Um, you know, you're you're silly enough to hire me for television purposes of television, you know, get ready to hit the beep button and uh don't expect me to shave every day.
2: Right. And has the has the Food Channel ever come after you?
0: No, I'm uh, for what? I mean, yeah. I mean, I did. Oh, two, I think the, I, I think the travel's a great fit. I had two, I had two years with them. Uh, you know. Uh, no, I mean,
2: come after you to take you back.
0: Oh no no, that's much easier to grow. Uh, that, rather than hire existing chefs or they like to grow their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, they found this to be a very successful uh, formula that. Sort of grow talent from young sprouts, feed them whatever they feed them, and and create them that way. They don't have to deal with outsized egos or the existing notions of what people want to do. You know, you you grow them up from youngins, and you tell them you tell them what to do, and mm-hmm. you and you take a big chunk of the merchandising while you're at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you've seen a real effort, a calculated and probably very shrewd uh, kind of push going on over there, where the old guard guys like Mario and Emeril are slowly finding themselves walking the halls and. We'll soon no doubt be dragged to some, you know, cellar room and the bowels of Food Network headquarters and
1: shot in the back of the head. <laughs> or put on, uh, uh, what is it, Iron Chef or uh, Top Chef?
0: No, they're, they're, they're disappearing off, you know, of, of Iron Chef. You know, it's, like, uh, it's going to be like the pictures of, uh, of uh, Trotsky, you know, standing next to <laughs> Stalin and Atlanta. and suddenly he's gone. Where, where is he? <laughs>
2: when did you get in town? Mm, two days ago. Two days ago, I think. I think. Well, let me see. This hey, is i I'm sorry, yesterday. Okay, you got in Monday. Mm-hmm. Did you have a chance to eat anywhere in? But
0: I, I haven't been no. anywhere yet. No. No. no, I mean I I know the town a little bit. I've eaten. Uh, I've I've eaten around. Uh, I love. I'm a big fan of Vincent's,
2: mm-hmm. and a big fan of a Vietnamese place called uh, Saigon. Is it in Minneapolis? It is. Yes. Okay, uh, but you haven't had a chance to uh, on this trip. You haven't had a chance to explore. explore. the, No, mm-hmm. I haven't. Tony Bourdain is with us. He'll be with us until three o'clock. The new book is no reservations. Back in a moment.
1: Back to the best of garage logic.
2: Tony Bourdain is with us, Anthony Bourdain. Would you also take phone calls, sir? By all means. Should should everyone know how to cook? Is it a discipline that is taken to, uh, too casually or too much for granted by, say, me, for example, who I I don't cook, and that's a big problem, and I should cook. Should everyone know how to cook?
0: You know, that's the first time in all these years that anyone's ever asked me that question. And it's so it's, yeah, you know what? Everyone should know how to cook. You should at least be able to feed yourself well and maybe a few others. You know, a tight little repertoire of things that you... You know, like you should know how to roast a chicken.
1: Thanks, Tony. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, Tony, please look at this guy. Really nice, you. He could burn water. Should we tell him the stove story? Give him the. uh, You need two great stories one, the lemon pepper, and the stove story is the (laughs) top. Well,
2: we went to get a stove, and uh, my wife is on the show, is known as the CP, the chief procurer. So I'm taken to the appliance store where they're, and she's looking at the stove, and uh, suddenly I'm summoned to the stove. And she says, the guy here wants to know if we have gas or electric. Why don't you take a shot at it? I figured I had a 50-50 chance. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. <laughs> Let me backtrack a little. Most people should know how to cook. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's too late now. Okay, most people should know how to Everybody should know how to cook, and you use the word well. Yeah. Okay, I have a question based on one of your episodes. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's an indelicate question, and I'm trying to think of the uh, correct way to ask it. Is it Namibia? How do you say it? Uh, Namibia. You're in Namibia with the Bushmen. You're out in the middle of nowhere. And they are going to cook for you a warthog. Yes. Right? Hands down, the most grotesque thing I've ever seen Uh, in terms of food on television.
0: I think I'd have to agree with you. All
2: right. (laughs) My question is, don't they know any better? Is that a fair question? In other words, didn't they cook it with the hair still on it and and the the crap and the the poop and everything?
0: Yeah. Uh, Don't they know better? Uh well I think you know th- there's no option I mean there's no water there first of all okay. so there's just no way to clean the thing okay there's it's extraordinarily rare to even get a warthog most of the time they're eating like bugs and fruits and berries they're they're hunter gatherers so they don't they do not have what we would call any kind of a of a, of a food culture okay. there are a few places I've been where. Cooking well is just not an option. It's it's pretty much survival food right down. Where's the line. another
2: place where that would be? Use uh, the, the Inuit,
0: the Inuit above uh-huh. the Arctic Circle, yeah. where it's pretty much you know shoot a seal in the brain and you know zip, zip it open and yep. and have at it raw. Um, you know, cooking flavor, those things are kind of you know secondary. Staying alive uh-huh. first, and then there are other places where they're just for for no particular reason w- relatively advantaged countries where they have you know running water and mm-hmm. and they're surrounded by people who who do cook and can cook and do they just don't take food they just don't see food as important mm-hmm. um i would say uzbekistan kind of crude you know it's meat on a stick mm-hmm. pilaf more meat on a stick
2: why is it important why is food important
0: um i think it's you know it's uh just like you know books or music or or uh you know art or uh, i'm not saying it's an art necessarily but it's one of the pleasures of uh, of of life that 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 make you human and and you know i think most importantly it's fun it brings people together in a uh, the the meal is a is a focal point for people to talk about things hopefully get a little drunk you know mm-hmm. uh, open up to each other um and i think it's just such a fundamental thing uh eating and 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 feeding others uh, that and and I've definitely found that those cultures that take that simple thing seriously and take real pleasure in it or even refine it and, and obsess over it those are fun places to be
2: are is the would you include the united states
0: we lag behind mm-hmm. uh, we're 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 catching up on the fine dining end but you know your daily food you know just your is not something that we paid attention to i think in the the english speaking world there's been a uh, this sort of a, a protestant uh, notion that that traditionally anyway, that there's something wrong and maybe even sinful about taking too much pleasure in your food, that it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a pleasure of the flesh, that it, it might lead to harder stuff like, like sex. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we've been a little hesitant about that where others other countries have understood that, well, yeah, it leads to sex, and it, it should. <laughs> you know, what's the problem here?
2: <laughs> You've said that when you feed somebody, you're telling them about yourself.
0: I, I think that's true on a person-to-person basis. Whether you're talking a, a, a Mexican mother, you know, making a tortilla by hand and mm-hmm. handing it to you, uh, or a, or a classic sushi experience where the sushi chef is pretty much making up his mind what you're going to eat next based on your reactions and conducting an ongoing dialogue with you, and 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 essentially handing you the food which you then eat with your you know out of your fingers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's also the history of the world. You know, people eat what they eat because you know salt salt cod or you know, coffee or, you know, stews. These dishes are, especially traditional dishes, you know, this is the end result of years of oppression, displacement, uh, migration, slavery, uh, you know, blood and toil. And, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are usually often fascinating, you know, uh, histories behind as, as well as just cultural identity. People t- are telling you the history of their world when they, mm-hmm. when they feed you what they love.
2: We're going to take a news break. Tony Bourdain is with us until 3 o'clock. He is signing his new book, No Reservations, at 5 p.m. tonight in the Mall of America Rotunda. It's an event he is most looking forward to. He loves the Mall of America. He told me that in all confidence. <laughs> oh, man. Garage Logic. Add him to the list. Garage Logic will be back in a moment. From the seat of Gumption County, Minnesota, Here's Joe Souchere. Tony Bourdain is our guest. His show on the Travel Channel is on Monday nights called No Reservations. That's the name of the new book, and he'll be signing at 5 p.m. at the Mall of America. Are you going to get to the point, uh, or do you wish to get to the point, where uh, eating weird stuff... Uh, won't necessarily be a focal point of the show. Does that question make sense? It okay. isn't. It
0: already is not. Yeah. I mean, the focal point of the show is uh, I want to know what local cooks, chefs, you know, what do they crave at two o'clock in the morning when they're drunk? Mm-hmm. You know, the, not the best meal in town, kind of comfort food, typical mm-hmm. food. Uh, uh, as sometimes, you know, a reptile's involved. But mm-hmm. but that that's that's not what I'm doing.
2: Uh, but it that. At the start, it seemed like it was part of the appeal. I wonder what this uh, goofball is going to eat next Monday night. Mm-hmm. But that that quickly has taken a back seat.
0: I, I try really hard to foil all of those expectations. Yeah. I mean, t- television uh, kind of organically likes to do what worked last week, and I try to make sure that the network doesn't even figure out what we did last week right. until, it's, until we're on to the next thing.
2: What is the travel channel? Is that Disney? Uh no. Uh, Cox Media owns it now. Cox Media. Would you take some calls? Sure. Six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred. Joe, go ahead. Hey, Chef. Hey.
1: How's it going? All good. Hey, I just wanted to comment. I, I think one of the reasons that you're so well liked is the fact that you're better than anybody out there at getting the people to open up their minds about what to consider when when you're considering what a pleasurable food experience is. You've Created and eaten some of the finest foods in the world, but you can talk with equal excitement about anything from the French laundry to a, a, a street vendor, and I think that's great about you. My question is, you know, it seems almost easy to find great experiences overseas, but what about the United States? You kind of touched on that. What, uh, what are the top two experiences that you've had in the United States at any level?
0: Wow, uh, you know, t- tough. I-, I mean, it's hard to beat. On one hand, uh, the French Laundry, or uh, or per se, or Massa, the New York. It's the most expensive restaurant in in America. It's a, you know, it's a nine seat sushi bar where the chef pays you know, over three hundred dollars a pound wholesale for his tuna. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's an easy answer. Uh,
2: and I would turn it into salad. <laughs> <laughs> Or have them uh, char it.
0: <laughs> when I'm away from New York for a long time, no matter how well I'm eating elsewhere, you know, a good pastrami sandwich on on freshly baked rye or or some good utility pizza, you know, that's 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 right in my happy zone.
2: Mm-hmm. Joe, thank you, thank you, thanks, chef. Uh, is American fast food worth eating? No. Okay. It
0: just it, it just isn't, and unfortunately, that's if you look around, if you travel around the world, if you ask what is american food to most people mm-hmm. uh, they'll they'll identify well it's the colonel and the king and the clown mm-hmm. you know that that's the, are the face of america to most of the world
2: patricia oh what a pleasure tony to talk to you thank you my favorite episode was when you had to be evacuated out of lebanon and i think it was lebanon yes. and you had great things to say about the marines and also, how much you loved tuna noodle ca- casserole and macaroni <laughs> cheese that night. Maybe you could comment on that. And also, Joe, you and your wife would be in trouble if you had a dual fuel range, like I do—five gas burners and two electric ovens. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank you. <laughs>
1: the food just magically comes out
2: and hot, though, isn't that? I know when to sit down. <laughs> uh, she wishes you to comment on the Beirut.
0: Well, you know, when you've been through times of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know you you crave the things you crave are the foods of your childhood i mean i've been you know surrounded by bombing uh, trapped in in beirut uh i uh, you know i found my i was trying to make a, a happy food and travel show and mm-hmm. for 2 days i did and then uh, the conflict started and you know the israeli air force were bombing uh bombing beirut back 20 years and mm-hmm. we were stuck there and when we finally were safely in the hands of the marines uh you know, we found ourselves in the galley of the USS Nashville mm-hmm. eating, you know, the happiest tuna noodle casserole macaroni and cheese I've ever had. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's <laughs> when facing execution, you find, you know, people, when people imagine their last meal, it, it's almost always something from your childhood, you know, that really you feel safe.
2: Did you eat well when you were a kid? Did you, would your mama cook?
0: Um I ate pretty well I mean better than most of my uh my you know my friends I think my my parents were a little more attuned possibly because my my father is a uh, was French a little more attuned to other types of cuisine we lived right next to new york so we'd eat eat out my mm-hmm. parents would make an effort to get me to a, like a japanese restaurant one week or mm-hmm. chinese or italian or, um but i mean we weren't foodie by by today's standards mm-hmm.
2: do you consider yourself foodie now
0: uh, that term has has. What it, does it mean? Even I mean, uh, it, it it's beginning to get negative implications, like comic book guy in The Simpsons. You mm-hmm. know, but you know, instead of being obsessed with Star Trek, he's a, you know way too obsessed with food. Mm-hmm. You know, the food bloggers who go to restaurants and take pictures of every course and then argue about which is the most authentic. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess I am. I mean, anybody who's who's in the food universe and talks, you know, if you spend more than fifteen minutes a day talking about food, you're probably a right. foodie.
2: Do you do all the cooking in your own home?
0: I'm not allowed to. Um, really? Uh, uh, my wife's from the north of Italy, and uh, I, I used to, mostly at home, I'd cook Italian. It made me, made mm-hmm. me happy before I met her, but my, my Italian cooking is apparently insufficient to her standards, right. so we, we order out
2: most of the time. <laughs> All right. We'll be back in a moment. Tony Bourdain with us. Stay tuned. gentlemen i give you the fireworks commissioner of garage logic joe suture you know one of the coolest guys i saw on your show was the old fellow in hong kong and you had to go up to his apartment and he was a noodle maker Mm -hmm. and the guy he might as well have been carving exotic violins or something he uh and that's all he does, right? He's a yep.
0: noodle maker. That's what his parents did, his grandparents did, <laughs> and uh, no one else makes them like that. And, and and f- in fact, few people could even tell the difference between the, the, the kind that he makes and the kind that, that every other noodle vendor buys frozen. Mm-hmm. I, you got to admire, I thought it was a beautiful scene, uh, you got to admire somebody who just insists on doing it old school.
2: Yeah, and it's a dying craft, right?
0: I think there are three other guys in Isn't Hong Kong. Isn't
2: that something? Doug? Yeah, hi, how are you doing? Tony, a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks. Um, The reason I called, about two days before uh, my wife, and I went for our first ever time to Europe and to Italy. I saw your show on Tuscany. And as a result of that, we had to make sure and go and seek out Dario
0: Cicchini. (laughs) Was it a happy experience? He was in a good mood?
2: It was wonderful. Did you happen to get a look at his business card when you were there?
0: Oh, I forget it. Yes, it's really kooky.
2: Yeah, it's a black card with a window, and he's in black and white, holding up this piece of red meat, looking just crazy. What a what a wonderful little experience in our trip, and and just that's the kind of thing I love about your show. You find these really unique, special people in the world. Thank and, you. Uh, j- just love you. Can't can't thank you enough for that.
0: Thanks. Actually, I'd read about this guy in Bill. Buford's See the guy book. that
2: has the meat shop.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'd read about him in Bill Buford's book Heat, and uh, you know, for those listeners who, who aren't aware, who, who weren't aware of the book, or da- Dario can quote the entire Dante's Inferno, mm-hmm. and uh, he and he does frequently in the, mm-hmm. in the middle of cutting meat, stands up and delivers these impassioned, impassioned and beautiful uh, passages from memory from from the Inferno, and uh, he's a madman. He only sells the meat he thinks you deserve if mm-hmm. you, if you don't. Look like the sort of person who would f- really understand oh, a, like the a, soup a thick Nazi. rib steak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he was just this wonderful, wonderful character and a great... Uh, another guy who does it old school. Only mm-hmm. only original old school Tuscan. Otherwise, he absolutely rejects it.
2: What is your fascination with Asia? You know,
0: I think it fits in with my, my, my childhood dreams and fantasies of what an adventurous, exotic life is. I mean, I, I, I think that's the part of the world that I, that I dreamed of and saw in movies and read about in books and for, and for most of my life thought I would never never see. And when I finally did arrive, it was as good as, if, if not better, than, than my imaginings. And, uh, you know, I, I love how the smells and flavors and, and look, uh, you know, to, to see Indonesia or Vietnam, uh, it's a realization of a dream.
2: Do you prefer those places over over tokyo for example
0: i love it's a whole different thing tokyo's a very sort of fetishistic food uh a food culture and it's a very very modern uh very forward thinking um I, I love i love tokyo but i'm more comfortable and more emotional about uh, rice farmers and and mm-hmm. uh and uh you know older style more you know post colonial uh, mm-hmm. southeast asia
2: Bob, go ahead. Yeah, Tony, uh, I found that uh, a special pepper that I've, I've recently come across called Peppa uh, works very well in Italian food, but uh, in my travels in Europe, I've never seen it actually used
1: in any cuisine. Uh, have you?
0: I have never heard of this product, and I, I can hear my wife's voice already saying that Peppa, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, yeah, I don't know it.
2: it. It's Peppa it's P-E-P-P-A-D-E-W, and it has a sweet, hot flavor. And and I've been using it in the red sauce for, uh, you know, my spaghetti for, shoot, almost a year now. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's wonderful. It's, it just uh, brings out a lot of extra flavor. And I've also used it in salads. Um, and there is a restaurant in Washington, D.C., that I just happened to go to. Uh, it's called Radicchio. And it's a small little place, and they use it in a, a sea bass meal. hmm And uh just
1: wondering if maybe you'd come across
0: I've it. never, no. All right, come thank you.
1: It. Okay, thanks. TJ. Yes, sir. Uh, hello, Anthony. Hi. Uh, I am a firm believer that there are a few things that rival the uh, South Korean kimchi, and I was sort of wondering if... Uh, I know that you had just recently gone. If you had found any in the States that were even close to uh, the kimchi in South Korea.
0: Uh, yeah, in L.A., in Koreatown in L.A.
1: Oh, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, the Koreans are interesting in that they kind of will not change their food at all. You know, a lot of people, when transplanted from another country, they kind of tweak it to make it more palatable to Americans. This is a concept that uh, Koreans would not be friendly towards. So uh, I love it. I love a really good spicy hot kimchi.
1: Well, yeah, and uh, my wife is Korean, and she is looking for a way to either get the ingredients or figure out a way to make it so that it tastes like it does over there
0: so. yeah, you need to you need the, the the pottery and you know dig a hole in the backyard the whole <laughs> yeah, yeah bit, right? I'll
1: bury it for three days or whatever,
2: but all right, well, thank you all right, thank you, uh Paul, go ahead hey, Tony, when you go to a new restaurant you've never been to mm-hmm. what's one thing? That will let you know that these people have it figured out,
1: and on the other hand, it's one thing that will tell you they just want to be a pretender
0: uh okay, are they busy with locals you know and and they they and a small, tightly focused menu meaning they they clearly know what they're good at uh those are things to look for uh when I start to worry is if it's a gigantic menu with something for everybody you know they've got mm-hmm. kimchi, you know teriyaki <coughs> steak, you know the south of the border section, you know hamburger. You know, nachos, uh, you know, they're all over the place trying to, you know, salad bar. The south of the yeah.
1: border.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: you know. Dessert buffet. Can you, yeah. can you be good at all of those things? Uh, that's a
2: warning sign to me. All right, thanks. All right, thank the you.
0: All you can eat are, are, are troubling, too.
2: Yeah, I, I can understand that. We'll be back shortly.
0: He always buys American, well, except for beer and cigars. Joe Sussure,
2: Tony Bourdain. Tony Bourdain is signing his new book, No Reservations, tonight at five o'clock at his favorite
1: bookstore. Do you know how long you Mall go? All of America, five until. Uh, till the last book is signed. Okay. Somebody had emailed us, so if you're the emailer, get there early. Don't make him wait until nine, pal. Mike.
2: <laughs> Hi there. Hi. Um, I, uh, I I loved. Kitchen Confidential. Um, it took me right back to the... the I could smell the, the kitchen, you know?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and the chaos and everything. And I, I I love it. I've cooked in a lot of different settings, and uh, sometimes I miss it. I'm not doing it right now, but um, probably will go back to it.
1: Anyway, um, what what's, in your opinion, what's the difference between a chef and a damn good cook?
0: Uh, it's very simple. A chef is simply a Presumably, damn good cook who leads others, who's a manager. That—that's the only difference. It's a—it it is a management honorific. That's—that—that's that, that's only. Do you wear
2: difference. the chef's hat.
0: No, no. The, the chef is the one without <laughs> the hat because oh. they just don't have to wear the oh. damn hat anymore. have no, no, time for that. They're okay. yelling
1: at everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. What do you think is better, Top Chef, uh, Iron Chef, or is Top Chef real? Is what you because I'm a big fan of Top Chef. Is that real?
0: Yes. It is real and uh, you get kicked off a Top Chef when your food was the worst food that week and you win Top Chef when your food is the best that week. No one's going to go to Tom Colicchio and say, uh, you know, keep the cute one around a few more weeks because she's good for drama.
1: Okay, so it's real TV. It's not. Uh, they're good and they're going to cry next time, so keep mine for another week.
0: Absolutely not. And uh, I can tell you that it takes us at judges' table hours, hours of deliberating. Or, 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 you know, it, the, the judges take it really, really, really seriously.
1: I'm happy to hear that mitch uh hey anthony hey uh my question is: i was a chef out in maui for years and uh the prices that that we charged out there are kind of becoming the norm around here too and i mean what do you see the direction of of the smaller fam- family restaurants going towards in uh in the future here places that are kind of going to be affordable
0: I think it's going to be it's going to be tough. Uh, I, I really don't know. I, I think it's safe to say it's just going to get it's only going to get more expensive. Yeah. Uh, and as people are more concerned now with organic and uh, locally sourced, um, you're you're going to you're going to get used to paying even more. You know, it's like the Starbucks people convinced us that that we weren't paying enough for coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whole Foods has taught us that you know I really want to pay a dollar for a lime. Mm-hmm. And and I think that. That argument will prevail.
1: Hey, we're getting to the point where going out and having a real dining experience is like going to an NFL game. Oh, yeah, you know, you have to save up and you go, you know, maybe once every month or two. Mom's. All right, folks, uh, we're uh, out of time here for this hour. That was the 2007 interview that Joe had on Garage Logic with Anthony Bourdain. Uh, condolences to his family, and he was a really good guy and he will be missed. All right, 1500 ESPN is KSTP St. Paul, Minneapolis. Jay Coles in for the next hour of Garage.